Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. our relationship series. Uh, we're going to be jumping in. We kind of alluded to it a little bit last week. We're going to be talking about boundaries. So let's pray and we'll jump into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to meet with us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir our hearts and our minds and Lord, you would mold us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Boundary is uh, its one of those things that for a while I didn't really like to talk about boundaries and the, the way that they were used, and we'll unpack that a little bit later. But so to, to start this off, I kind of wanted to just get a ground floor definition of what they were, right? And a boundary is a line that marks the limits of an area. So if we take that and we apply it to relationships, we know that there's places in our lives and the people that we're relating to, and we kind of have a, a rule or a boundary set that that a way that we can live in relationship and harmony and our relationships can flourish. They're important. Um, I grew up or I went to college and we had lots of different living situations and we always kind of... Um, being an extrovert and had several extroverted friends, we did what we could to have as many people in our living situations as possible. Probably not the best idea, but it's what we did, right? And then we got later on, we were able to get an apartment on campus. And so we had these apartments. And because of certain friends going to, off to the military, certain friends graduating, doing different things, we usually had one room that was open. And we would kind of invite people in to be a roommate. Um, so one semester... We invited this gentleman in to be a roommate. We'll call him Fred. And Fred was different than us, but, you know, we were trying to practice hospitality and um, allow him and let him be a part of our group and our community. And our dorm life was very communal. It was, we had like, we all participated in buying groceries. We all participated in eating those groceries. We all participated in doing the dishes and uh, we all shared the laundry uh, machines that were in the kind of the middle area. We worked together. There was kind of these unspoken rules. Like if you left your laundry in the dryer or the wash machine too long, it would be moved on top so that the people could, other people could wash their clothes. Like if you used a dish, you washed that dish. Um, if you had, if you cooked dinner for the group, 
you didn't wash the dishes, somebody else who just got to eat the meal washed the dishes. Like we had these rules that we kind of were, were boundaries in our relationships that made this communal life work. If you consumed most of the milk, you bought the next gallon of milk. I always bought the milk. Okay, I love milk. It was my thing. I bought the milk. Anybody could drink it, but I drank most of it. I knew the milk was my responsibility, right? So we had these rules that we kind of functioned with, and then there were some that were unspoken, some that were spoken, and whenever there was conflict, because it happens, remember week one, whenever there was conflict, we generally were able to handle it until we added this apartment, what we called him, all right? He came in, he didn't understand the unspoken rules, so they became spoken. (laughs) Then he didn't follow the spoken rules, and things got to be stressful, anxious, um, not fun. Uh, Laundry, he didn't do it. Literally, would have a pathway in his door to his bed. Everything else was dirty clothes, and you could smell it in the apartment. Dishes would not do the dishes. There was I've um, but I'm, I, at this point in time, I would oftentimes eat my feelings and not talk about them, right? And so I would just deal with it. I had basically my best friend who was the exact opposite. He was blunt and would tell you how you would feel, how he felt, and he would often try to hurt your feelings while doing it, right? Like that was just his personality. Well, there was literally one time where he was standing over this apartment, forcing him to wash dishes, and the apartment was like crying because they were too gross. He was like, they're gross because you let them sit there. And like, it was, it was a weird scene, like not the best way to handle it, but, but you get the picture. Boundaries were violated, even to the point where like, when it came time to move out and there were his dishes that we just refused to wash because he wasn't participating in the rules. And so we piled them up and at the same time to move out, he literally just threw those things in bags and either took them home for his mom to wash them or threw him away. He had like two, yeah, true, I promise. Okay, so boundaries were not there and it was impossible to have a healthy, thriving, living situation, right? Boundaries are the rules that make relationships work. Without them, a relationship is literally impossible. So we have to have these parameters and how we function with one another. They, they are foundational. I mean, we could just look, look at the creation story. Look at Genesis. God, God, the triune God create, he's three persons in one, right? He is perfect unity, perfect community, perfect love, and he created us in his image. He created us to be a part of that dance, to be in that perfect love and that perfect relationship. But he didn't just create us to worship him. He placed us in the garden, and there in that garden, he also placed the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? He placed us there with the choice to let him be God or to let ourselves be God. Why would he do that? Why would he place us in that situation where we could worship him or we could worship ourselves? He left us with a free will to choose him as Lord or ourselves as Lord. He sat us there because you can't have relationship without that freedom. But he didn't just put us there with this not knowing what the rules were, not knowing where he stood. If you go to Genesis 2, 5 and 16, 15 through 16, it says, The Lord God took man and placed him in the garden to work and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. 
but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil for the, on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is before the fall, all right? This is before sin has entered the picture. This is when creation is in its perfection, perfect creation. There's freedom, there's community, there's love, and there are boundaries. Boundaries have been there from the beginning. It's what allows relationship to happen. So when you look at your life, think about the different types of relationships that you have. Work, school, kids, parents, siblings, spouse, in-laws, I stepped on some toes there, right? But look, look at your relationships. Look at the healthy ones. Chances are that those healthy ones have clear boundaries that have been set and are followed. And the unhealthy ones, my guess is that if there are any boundaries at all, they have not been followed. Good boundaries create healthy relationships. Bad boundaries do just the opposite. And like I was saying, I actually used to hate boundaries because in the world of ministry, they talked about all the time. We got warning after warning in, in school, like, look, you, you, need to, you need to be there. You need to be there for your, your congregation, but you want them to have clear boundaries because in the end, your church will hurt you. We heard that all the time. And there's this sense that they wanted to make sure that you would protect your families, protect your kids, protect your, your, your spouse from the church. You got to make sure you have healthy boundaries. And, all the, and it, was, it was good advice. You want to have healthy boundaries. But the problem was over and over again, I saw those boundaries abused. Boundaries, unhealthy boundaries are used as a way to avoid difficulties. And I've seen pastors avoid the difficulty of relationships, avoid the difficulty of pastoring people for the sake of boundaries. I have a friend, a family member even, she had a whole podcast, right? And she had, it always kind of sparked from this moment where she was on staff at a rip, pretty large church. You know, it's not like one of those famous mega churches, but we're talking over a thousand people. And when you get to this place, the pastor's role obviously changes. He becomes more like a, a I don't know, I don't want to sound bad, but he, he's running an organization. So there's oftentimes when it comes to pastoral care, there's teams that do and take care of that pastoral care. Well, this lady was having coffee with a, a friend or peer who had been abused and really needed to talk to a pastor. And so she, being on staff at this church, connected that friend with the pastor of this large church. Later on, she got in an incredible amount of trouble, got fussed at, disciplined in her job because the pastor was off limits to that kind of meeting. I understand that there are certain ways that large churches have to function, but that rode me the wrong way because the pastor was avoiding difficult situations for the sake of boundaries. Boundaries are not a way to avoid difficult people. Uh, I had a grandmother who had a son who was bipolar, and he oftentimes was very difficult to get along with. And over and over again, family counseled her with 1 Corinthians 5, um, verse 5. It says, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that, the spirit may be sa- so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. They say, look, he's, he's cussed you out. He sent you these angry text messages. You just need to cut them off. You just need to cut them off and hand them over to Satan. And I've heard this voice, this scripture used incorrectly over and over again. That person is difficult. They might get on your nerves. They might do this or that. You just need to hand them over to Satan. 
oh, I've heard so-and-so, I've cut so-and-so out of my life. You may have heard somebody say that. I can't be around them anymore. I've blocked them on social media. I've blocked them on my phone so they can't call me or text me. And a lot of times this comes from a, a place of pain. And if you've had this conversation, you'll be like, wow, good for you. I'm glad you're setting those boundaries. What, why are you setting those patterns? Well, they were just always on my nerves. Someone getting on your nerves is not a good reason to cut them off. They were so needy. They were so arrogant. They were too loud. They were boring, a real fun sucker, a Debbie Downer, right? People who are hard to get along with, maybe different than us. And this, this, and that for the sake of boundaries or cutting someone off, this has been used as a tool to cast them out. Relationships are hard, and they require work, dedication, perseverance, commitment, sacrifice. We have to adapt and change as we grow. Lauren and I watched a, a movie this weekend. It was the, the I think it's the newest Medea movie. I haven't really watched one since the Diary of the Mad Black Woman, right? But uh, this one, don't watch it. <laughs> Let me just say, it's on Netflix. Don't watch it. The, the language is horrible. The plot line is horrible. The acting is not good. There are some funny parts, but like, we were sitting there like, man, these movies have, have gone a long way. And so I don't recommend it, all right? But there was a part where Medea, who is, um, let's just say, participated in the devil's lettuce, and she is sitting on a chair, and she's communicating with another lady who is having a relationship with somebody that's like 20 years younger than her. So you get the idea of how, what's going on in this movie, right? And Medea's given her some advice, and the advice is actually really good. <laughs> And you're thinking, okay, there's a bright spot here. And she gives some advice, and then she gives, the lady's like, oh, wow, that's so wise. Then Medea gives some more advice, and she says, when you get married, you should make vows to marry multiple people. And you're like, okay, now what's going on here? And and the the, uh, woman receiving the advice is like, okay, you lost me there. That doesn't make sense. And Medea's like, no, you don't understand. You got you to gotta make a vow to, to marry multiple people because as you grow, you change. And none of us are the same person we were five or 10 years ago. That's why people renew their vows. It's because as we grow, as life happens, we change. We are not the same people and our spouse is not the same person. And I'm thinking, man, that is good, right? Because that's true. Life happens. It's not just in marriage, but in all of your relationships, we grow and we change and we're, different things happen and, and we become different people. And, and, and we, if we're going to commit, if we're going to be in healthy relationships, we have to commit to one another. We have to be willing to fight and be willing to adapt and change. It's not just marriage. It's all those relationships. Relationships can be the most life-giving thing that we experience on this side of eternity. Because they reveal the glory of a God that is a relational God. But it takes commitment. It takes hard work. And if the second things get hard or uncomfortable, difficult, aggravating, annoying, we throw up a boundary as an excuse so that we don't have to deal with that, we will never experience the glory of God in our relationships. The Bible says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you are spiritual, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you will not also be tempted. And you've heard this, because part of the reason we're calling this series one another. 
carry one another's burdens. And this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Relationships, life in general, is full of difficult situations, difficult responsibilities, difficult people, but we are called to carry the burdens of one another. That means the boundaries that we set shouldn't just jump to avoiding those difficulties. A healthy boundary is not one that avoids difficult situations or difficult people. The second thing that a a healthy an unhealthy boundary is one that is used to keep power. Matthew 15, 18, 15 says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. This is a beautiful passage on boundaries. Go read Matthew 18. It's, it's an Incredible. We're going to unpack it a little bit, but it's an incredible passage on boundaries and how to handle sin and difficult situations as a community inside the church. But it's been abused. Um, kind of starting in 2016 and going on into the pandemic, you've seen the, the Me Too movement right, of women who have been abused, and there's a chance for them to share their story. And this Me Too movement carried over into the Church Too movement. And story after story began coming out of pastors that I spent years devouring their books and their teachings, had many books on my bookshelf, pastors with great power who had been mistreating and abusing not just women, but people under their care. And in multiple occasions, victims were kept silent or not viewed as credible because of this text. They would go to an elder or a person of, a person of authority in their church and highlight this abusive behavior. But because they didn't go one-on-one to their abuser, they were dismissed. Like I said, Matthew 18 is a great passage on boundaries. But if there's a victim who has been abused, step one in this passage has already taken place. A victim should never be required to go one-on-one with their abuser. This is a misuse of this text, and it's not something Christians should fight for. That has already been done, and what happened was abuse. They should, we should support, victims should find support from elders and leaders in the church. They should find people that see them as credible and don't just dismiss them because they're not going one-on-one with their abuser. Now I get, I get that our power graph may not be abuse, but if you have a boundary in your life, like one where people cannot tell you no, you are in the same boat. If people under your authority cannot disagree with you, cannot refuse to, to break their own boundary, or if they, if they tell you no or, or you ask to break a boundary and they, were, they push back on that, you blow a gasket and lose your cool, then you have a boundary to keep yourself in power. And that is ruining relationships. Can people tell you no? If not, you probably have a boundary to keep you in power. So if those are things that that boundaries are not, if those are things that boundaries are not, what are healthy boundaries? Let's go back to Genesis, right? So that Jesus, or God puts man in the garden. He said, the Lord took man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work and watch over it. 
And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. For on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Healthy boundaries are a way to life. Healthy boundaries always lead to flourishing. It's clear. You eat from the tree and you die. You eat from the tree and you die. You don't eat from the tree and you have life. It is very clear that healthy boundaries lead to life. They are clearly communicated. There's no like, oh, what, am I allowed to eat from this tree or this tree or that? Like, what am I? Some? God is clear. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. They're clearly communicated, and the goal is always thriving. The goal is always for every party involved to live fully. If we go back to that passage in 1 Corinthians 5, it says this, this is verses one through five. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated amongst the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. That's weird, right? But this actually, this actually goes back to a story in the Old Testament. This is what we were talking about, kind of that power grab, right? If you go back to the Old Testament, you read a story. Uh, there's a story where Noah, um, he drinks some wine, passes out drunk in his tent, and his youngest son, Ham, comes and it says that Ham saw the nakedness of his father. And later when Noah kind of comes to, comes back to his senses, wakes up, he curses Ham. And we see later on in Leviticus that that same phrase is used when a a man sleeps with the wife of his father. It says that he sees the nakedness of his father. So that term nakedness of his father is actually sleeping with the father's wife, a mother. Okay, that's weird, right? But if we go and we kind of look at the... the, uh, social structure of this time, the, the father was the authority figure. He was the one who had the power. He was the one who had the blessing. He was the one who was in charge of the, the, the well-being of the family. And so oftentimes a younger son who would not be getting the family blessing because it was passed down to the oldest son would do something like sleep with his father's wife in an attempt to grab power, an attempt to be the new authority figure. So you see this happening here in the New Testament and it it appears that it was successful because it's almost like the church is like allowing this person to now be a part, an authority part of this community. And Paul is like, no, he's like, this is not okay. This person has done something evil that even the Gentiles don't allow, yet you're letting it go on. So he keeps going on. I'm going to keep reading. And this is in first Corinthians, this is verse two. It says, and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove this person from your congregation? The one who did this? Even though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. And one who is present with you in this way, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has been doing such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of Lord Jesus, I am with you in spirit. So Paul is like giving them, giving this church his authority, even though he's not there. He says, with the power of the Lord Jesus, hand the one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of of the Lord. So when he says hand him over to Satan, he's not saying to kill this person. He's not saying that this is not talking about death because we see in the end there's a hope for him to be saved. He said hand him over to Satan is to cast him out of the church. If you keep reading, he talks about literally all gatherings. You cast this person out of your meals, you cast this person out of the Lord's supper. He's saying to send him out of the church which is considered to be the realm of Satan 
So he sent him out for the destruction of the flesh. Again, not hoping that he would die. This isn't talking about death, but it's talking about the consequences of his sin. See, when, they, when we were in the garden, sin entered the picture. God had this boundary and humanity broke it. And when they disobeyed, God didn't say, oh, well, just please don't do it again. No, he is a holy God. He is a just God, and he cursed them. He knew that if they lived forever on their own, they would be their own gods, and they would destroy all of creation and grow to hate each other and hate God. In a way to save them from themselves and acting in his holiness, he cursed them, and they would now die. Eternity, which was their, what they were created for, would now have to wait but it was coming. Even in the curse, God so desired to be in perfect relationship with his creation that he began the rescue plan. He began that he knew that one day that would result in Jesus coming to earth and dealing with the consequences of sin, i.e. death. He would deal with death once and for all. Because of Jesus on the cross, yes, sin has consequences and we have to deal with it, but those consequences do not mean that death, they do not mean final because death has been dealt with. And that is Paul's ultimate goal in this passage. Not that this person would be cast out for good and not deal with, but that this person would be saved, restoration, brought back back into the church family, brought back into the mills, brought back into the Lord's Supper, brought back out of the realm of Satan. The goal was restoration, not to avoid dealing with this person. Life is the, is the goal of a healthy relationship. And that's how, that's how the passage in Matthew 18 ends as well. If, you read, if we read 15 and 17, it says this, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between him, you and him alone. If he listens, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take two or three others with you so that by their testimony, by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, then tell the church. And if he doesn't pay attention to even the church, let him be like a Gentile and tax collector to you. How did they view the Gentiles and tax collectors? Outside the walls of the church, in the realm of Satan. The same thing, Paul is saying that if this person is not listened to you, he doesn't listen to your community, he doesn't listen to the church that he belongs to, then it's time that you set him out in hopes that he will be restored. There's this beautiful passage, the beautiful text after this where it talks about the things that you bind and loose on earth will be bound and loosened in heaven. There's this call of the community that now knows that this brother or sister has been cast out, is now going to the God and contending for them, praying Praying for their restoration. Verse 19 says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about the, any matter and that you pray for it, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. It's saying, Yes, cast this person out, but you don't cast them out in the hopes that you don't have to deal with them anymore. You cast them out and you are earnestly, fervently seeking the Lord on their behalf, praying for their well-being, praying for them to have life. Boundaries should always be set with an aim towards life. So a healthy boundary leads to life. A healthy boundary leads with love. 
a lot of times, I'm going to try to unpack this quickly. A lot, so a lot of times when we have boundaries, the, the, our goal has to be the fact that we are leading with love. We set these rules. Boundaries can look different, all right? I'm not up here saying that this should be a boundary in your life because some relationships need different boundaries than other. But we set rules that allow our relationships to thrive, and these rules should always lead with love. A boundary can be refusing to settle an argument with yelling. A boundary can be refusing to talk down to each other. It could be refusing to, to be on your phone at the dinner table. It could be always having a date night once a week with your, your spouse, or it could be a, a promise to always be honest about how you feel or a promise to not lose your cool when your spouse hurts you, but to be honest with them. Lauren and I, we had, we've been married for 10 years and about year eight or nine, it got a little rocky, All right? We weren't like on the edge of divorce, but, but the marriage was hard. We had added two kids, finances were tough. It, it was just, there was all kinds of things going on. Lauren had recently lost her mom. And if you've ever lost anybody, you know that it changes you. And Lauren and I had come to this point, basically a breaking point in our marriage where we had to reassess our boundaries. We had to look at the things in our life and the way we were communicating and dealing with each other. And we had to change the boundaries that, that we had set in our life. But because we refused to give up on our relationship and we committed to fighting for each other and figuring it out, the year 10 has been one of the hardest years externally, but our marriage has absolutely Thrived. We had lots of long conversations, multiple really big fights as we try to navigate years eight and nine. But when we came out on the other side with a new set of boundaries that we still have to work at and practice and hold each other accountable on, our marriage is thriving because we committed to love. We committed to leading with love and we changed our boundaries and we set new boundaries and we communicated those boundaries because of that commitment. There are times in your life where you have relationships that may be rocky. Maybe it's not a marriage. It can be at work or anything like that. We have to commit to thriving in relationship by having healthy boundaries that lead with love. This was the example that Christ gave us. He had a boundary of love. As he navigated his three years of ministry, he was mocked and challenged. He was questioned. He faced many trials, ultimately leading him to the most gruesome, painful, humiliating death. And as God, at any point, he could have said, never mind. He could have said, this is dumb. He could have said, these people are going to stab me in the back. But because he loved us so much, he never wavered from that boundary. He committed to this boundary of love, and he went to the cross, and he gave up his life for it. His boundary of love cost him everything, but he never wavered. And now you and I, we can experience life. You can know love. You can be free because of Christ's commitment to this boundary. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Yet, while we were still sinners, he died for us. He did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for your enemy. He did that for the person you have to have boundaries with. And thanks to Christ's commitment to love, we are covered by the blood. We are righteous in his eyes. We now have eternity written on our hearts. Your boundaries will cost you. They're not easy. But if you commit to love and you commit to life, your relationships will flourish. Don't use boundaries as a tool to manipulate or avoid hardships. Use them to love and lead 
to life. It was Christ's example for us. It's what God put in the garden, and it's how we thrive in relationships. Don't use healthy relationships. Do not avoid difficulties. They do not try to keep power, but they lead to life and they lead with love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us boundaries. We thank you that we know where we stand with you, that we have fallen short, but in the beginning you created us to be a royal priesthood and that you went to the cross that we might get back to that moment, that you forgive us our sins, that we can walk in righteousness as that royal priesthood because that's how we were created. We thank you, Lord, that we have those boundaries set before us. And I pray that as a church and as a people who are designed to be in community and in relationship, we will lead lives with healthy boundaries. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.